0: We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Then we had this uh, fight night over the weekend where Edson Barbosa came back from the dead to defeat Sadiq Youssef by decision in the main event. Uh, not that you would know it if you looked around the headlines on Monday morning, most of which are about misfits boxing. So that might tell us more than we need to know about the state of affairs in combat sports right now, where even the MMA sites, I think we got a listener mail question about it. So we I will implicate us as well, much of the MMA media, talking about, I don't even know if you would call it celebrity boxing at this point. It's more like, guys, a couple people know boxing. So I don't know. It just seems like a sad commentary to me. Not that I want to play it real straight. You know, it's a fucking goof. But at the same time, I don't know. It hurts my soul a little bit, I guess. I I mean, I, I don't think there's any
2: percentage really in being the old guy yelling at the cloud on this one. This is where we have moved to. And this is a part of the boxing world now, a part of the combat sports landscape, is that every once in a while, until it stops working altogether, a couple of famous or semi-famous people will show up. Usually it will be some kind of a setup. Somebody will be will have picked the other person because, <laughs> for for a reason not related to us finding out who the best boxer is. And then everybody will try for a cash grab. It's a cash grab, Chad. Yeah. Until the cash stops being on the table to grab, people are going to keep trying some various combinations of these things. Here's what I'll say about it. One, you know as Dylan Dannis that you have a certain kind of reputation when 90% of the tweets, once you get in the ring, are just a lot of people going, holy shit, he actually showed up. When they had to have a clause in the contract about what ramifications there would be for you if you did not show up, when everybody is just surprised to see you actually in there ready to have a fight rather than just talk about a fight, that's how you know you have cultivated a kind of a persona, and it's not necessarily a great one. The other thing I'll say about it is for all the people who wanted to kind of shake their heads and be like, this is a disgrace to boxing, or this is a sign of a culture in decline, or whatever, in fairness— Chad, the shit was called misfits boxing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: They told you what it was. Yeah. Right up front.
0: And don't you, you know get, you like, Carl, don't show Carl, up Frick, to, like, Carl Frock came out this week and called it a disgrace or whatever. And whenever somebody does that, especially when they're getting headlines for it, I'm my initial response is always like, Oh, this motherfucker wants to be on Misfits Boxing. That's mm-hmm. why he's saying it's a disgrace. Uh, and I don't want to come off like the old man shouting at the cloud. I guess what I'm saying is it feels like more of a commentary on mixed martial arts than anything else. That that Misfits Boxing has taken over the headlines on many of our uh, niche websites this week.
2: Do you mean just that the JSF era is easily eclipsed by a big name doing some silly shit?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well,
2: I mean, that could be. That's... I I thought you were going to say that it's interesting how, for one, this shit only happens in boxing. You don't see a whole lot of this shit happen in MMA. Right,
0: because nobody has to do anything hard.
2: Yes, because right. MMA <laughs> would be hard as hell to do. Way easier for us to tell that you suck at it. And also a tougher barrier to entry, kind of, because... The UFC has that shit on lockdown yeah. for the most part. Also, could,
0: I guess we should add in celebrity boxing, they give you some money. Yes. <laughs> in, in theory, they give you some money. Whereas in MMA, like the, the promoter just keeps it all.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just think that if you... If you had to, like, when I see people getting mad about something like this, I'm like, wouldn't you be mad if you bought Misfits Boxing with Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul and it just was a straight up boxing match? Like, yeah. just, it was a couple of fellows in there abiding by the Marquise of Queensberry rules and having themselves a good, clean boxing match and at the end, one guy wins and one guy loses. That's when you would be like, this is bullshit. I, I was swindled out of my money. You you want something ridiculous to happen when you watch this shit. that, And they know that. And, and I feel like you come away from misfits boxing with a Paul brother versus a just cringeworthy MMA troll. And you go... I'm disappointed in what these guys have done to the good name of boxing. Th- then you were the problem. Yeah. You showed up to with the wrong expectations. You showed up to the strip club and was like, I don't know. That wasn't modern dance. It wasn't ballet. I don't know what they were really going for there. Uh, I feel like there was a lack of creativity. I, I feel like, uh, you know, the the costumes were trite and derivative, Man, you went to the strip club. Just enjoy a strip club kind of a time. That's what you need to do with Misfits Boxing. You showed up to Misfits Boxing and you got some Misfits Boxing. What yeah. are you not entertained?
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't want to uh show up to Misfits Boxing and have like a defensive struggle between yeah. Floyd, Floyd Mayweather and Winky Wright or something like that. Cross cross divisional uh very defensive like a uh, point point match
2: dudes out here doing the shoulder roll and misfits boxing. No, <laughs> I want security to have to rush the ring. <laughs> and then I want Dylan Dennis to take a swing at the security guard, yeah. which doesn't come within three feet of hitting him. Yeah,
0: no. And that's what we got. That's what we got at misfits boxing. We'll talk yeah. about that coming up in a minute. Remember you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you can't get enough of us, which frankly would be understandable, you yeah. can find the co-main event, Ben folks and myself, myself all week over on Patreon, hit us up at patreon.com co-main event, get loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to our official discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are constantly chatting it up over there on any number of topics Check us out if that sounds good to you. Co-main event. No, excuse me. Patreon.com slash co-main event. Come join the group of the smartest, funnest, most welcoming men and women talking fights online. Patreon.com slash co-main event. That's where we're at. You could also support the show. By scooping up some dope CME merchandise, just head over to our brand new merch shop where you'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt, the old school Cowboy Astronaut cigarettes t-shirt, and you can find a lot of cool new stuff too. Are you fucking kidding me shirts? Officially licensed merchandise of the dreaded MMA gods. And of course, this one could be topical. Here's a topical one. You might want to go get the Volcamania t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Which is available over there at our merch shop. That one is at comainevent.com. You go there and click the link at the top of the screen that says shop and then you'll be able to buy all the fabulous wares. Remember, we're partnering with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. Uh, They're a brand and design studio. You've seen their work on the CME for a long time. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or at Instagram at studiosuperconductor. We got music this week from our guy, Stockholm-based producer, Simeo, a.k.a. co-main event podcast listener Adam Larson. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash Simeo. That's S-E-E-M-I-O in Simeo. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, the UFC makes chicken salad out of chicken shit, tapping Alexander Volkanovsky to fight Islam Mahachev this weekend at UFC 294 after Charles Oliveira bows out. Must be nice. And in round number two, the UFC makes chicken salad out of chicken shit, tapping Kamara Usman to fight Kamzat Chimaev this weekend at UFC 294 after Paulo Costa bows out. Must be nice. And in round number three, not sure if it was quite a fight of the year candidate, but damn, Edson Barbosa versus Sadiq Youssef was good. We discuss all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Rossi Jujio. Probably nailed it on that. The subject line here was post USADA UFC. They ask, are we now heading to a time where Connor can maintain a beefy physique and looks like he ate his former self at 145 pounds. Maybe we see more knockouts, more abs, or just that the roster will look like the cast of 300. What does the future hold now? I'm a, I'm a put that one together with this question from Dan Alexander who wrote is the UFC in creating its own testing program is the UFC creating its own testing program akin to me marking my own homework. I've listened to pro drug MMA voices. I respect like Luke, Luke Thomas, but Jesus Christ, am I mad and thinking that this is the shitty this is shitty news for fighters and MMA in general, or am I just being naive to what's currently going on in the game? Uh, there's so much to untangle. Indeed, there is a lot to untangle. This was some breaking news last week. We talked about it quite exhaustively behind the Patreon wall over there. We talked about it on Thursday on Doing the Damn Thing and on Friday during the Power Hour that news broke last week that the UFC had decided to sever its relationship with USADA and move forward with its own internally organized drug testing program. There are a lot of ins and outs about it. I think some things about it seem like they are doing it the right way. And at the end of the day, I guess my my uh primary feeling about it as I said last week is that they're sort of asking us to trust them. Yeah. At the end of the day. And my only question is do we feel like we can trust the UFC about anything in the year of our Lord 2023?
2: Yeah. That is one of the big sticking points. I think
0: we're going to
2: have to wait and see a lot of stuff, but I think there'll be a, a couple key things to look out for early on in this to find out what we should expect. One is just what the rate of positives ends up being. Because if it turns out the UFC sort of takes over drug testing, USADA's gone, and then we never hear about anybody testing positive, that will be interesting. Also, if we see people showing up looking a lot more jacked, that will be interesting. I would caution, though, if you're... An MMA fighter, you're a UFC fighter not named Conor McGregor, and you're thinking, USADA is gone, now is the time to get on the good good. Beware that I would expect the UFC might be looking for someone to make an example out of pretty early on. That they would want to catch somebody just so they can be like, hey, we're doing this. We have a for real testing program. Look at somebody we nabbed and uh, this stiff punishment that they're going to receive. One of the key things to look at, though, will be what happens when they get somebody and that person wants to appeal it. That person says, no, I I wasn't doing anything. And what will that process look like? Because you remember one of the things that preceded USADA's involvement in the sport, which, by the way, Dana White said when USADA took over the drug testing was one of the greatest days of his life. Because, and when they hired Jeff Nowitzki and all that, because then he could stop thinking about and worrying about drug testing, it was somebody else's problem. So you're kind of taking a backward step from that. But one of the things that happened was the UFC was going very rapidly, globally expanding to all these places, places that didn't have athletic commissions, places where sometimes the UFC was the one trying to set up athletic commissions. And trying to figure out a way to do drug testing when it was essentially self-policing. And for, I believe, that fight in Macau, where it had Kung Lee, who had posted that picture of him looking shredded as yeah. fuck, Chad. Perfect
0: lighting. There was perfect lighting on that.
2: Later, he attributed it, to because people were like, Hey, Kung Lee, how in your 40s do you suddenly look so jacked and ripped, bro? I would like to know your secret. And he was like, "Mm, this is just good lighting on that particular picture. And everybody went, "Mm mm-hmm. And he had the fight. And then the UFC said he tested positive for HGH. And everybody kind of went, well, that tracks with what we felt like we saw in the still photograph. But he was adamant that he had not taken HGH and wanted to appeal it. And then we realized there was a whole lot of problems with the way the UFC had set up the drug testing there. It it had had like an occupational drug testing lab, like the kind of thing, if you get a job at Best Buy and they want to test you to see if you're on Coke first, like that kind of a lab. And they had claimed to catch him on HGH, which is a tough thing to catch people on. And then when they were like, okay, we'll test the B sample. The people had already thrown out the B sample. And so it was like, what is the UFC's appeal process for itself? Essentially. And it didn't really have one. It didn't have a lot of answers to these questions. And then it ended up just kind of being like, well, screw it. We're not going to do anything here after all. So I do think that that's when we're going to find out about some stuff is when they start catching people and when somebody inevitably is going to be like, it wasn't me, you know, I didn't do it or it was some spiked creatine. You know, I took the silverback explode that I bought at GNC and it's their fault. It's not my fault. What will that look like? I think that's going to be very telling for us.
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, in a lot of ways, it's going to be a wait-and-see type situation. I think some of the things that they mentioned at this press conference last week seem like they are good on their face. They said it's going to be more of an athlete-friendly situation where maybe the fighters aren't going to get woken up at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning or aren't going to be surprised by somebody while they're doing their weight cut or something like that. And if that turns out to be true, I think that's probably... Uh, At least partially a better system, but uh, you know, anything that the UFC is going to run internally, I think we're going to have questions about. And one thing that I would like to bring up immediately is the hiring of George Pirro, which is some of the weirdest stuff that has happened in a minute in this sport. We're going to hire this former FBI agent who is Mm -hmm. most notable because he ran the initial interrogation of Saddam Hussein uh, under the auspices of the FBI. Now we're bringing him in to run the UFC's internal drug testing program, which I think is a thing he has no experience doing. I don't know if he is friends with Jeff Nowitzki, who is also a former FBI agent, but at least had anti-doping experience when he was hired by the UFC. Uh, But Jeff Nowitzki and the UFC acted with ultimate scorn to anyone who wanted to question the moral fiber of George Pirro. And how he Again, will run this No one program. was questioning
2: it. They were questioning if there was going to be checks and balances and transparency. To and then, and Jeff Nowitzki acted like John Morgan by even just asking that question was impugning the stellar and unmarred character of George Piro, which did make you wonder: Is it? Did you just hire your buddy? Is yeah. this your guy or your buddy? And you just, we, you want us to be like, hey, there should be not not even the hint of a question about this program because this is such an impeccable human being we've selected to run it. Like, I don't care who he is. It's it's a reasonable question to ask about what kind of oversight we got.
0: Yeah, like I said on Friday, he could be Mother Teresa. And if he's working for the UFC, I'm going to have questions about how, uh, you know, autonomous he can be in his in his role there. Uh it's also a classic UFC hire. I feel like just hiring a guy that the UFC can swagger around and be like we hired a badass to run yeah. our drug testing program. Look at this guy. He's got balls the size of grapefruits and he's going to be running our drug testing program and then it's kind of like yeah, but has he ever done that before? Does he have any qualifications? It's, what kind of job is he going to do? Who knows? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Did he find out what Saddam Hussein was on?
2: Did yeah. He, did, no, Saddam Hussein, like, I don't
0: know if you saw any pictures of him from around the time, but he'd had perfect lighting on those pics. He was jacked, just ripped, looking like, like he was carved out of granite.
2: Rolling up there in the interrogation room. So like, what you, is it? You got like tests? Are we on some D ball? Like, what are, we, what are
0: we doing here? Big guy? Yeah. mm-hmm yeah Saddam Hussein. He was on the good stuff back in those days. Next question this week comes to us from Hideo Miyazaki. Who okay. I believe is a Japanese animator and filmmaker, yeah, who writes. The fact they had Barboza and Yusuf have this war in front of nobody is a crime and an insult to life itself.
2: Life itself? Okay, that that does sound like Miyazaki, honestly.
0: That's right. Everybody got used to it, but I think it's genuinely wrong what they are doing to the sport with these Apex shows. Just rent out a 2,000-seat venue in Vegas, you greedy shitbags. Every show doesn't need a $10 million gate. Now, as we've said before, the fact that the UFC is still doing So many of these fight night events at the apex when it seems like they could be back out on the road more often doing the thing that it seemed like at the beginning of the pandemic, Dana White was desperate to do to keep the UFC's traveling circus out there, riding the rails from town to town, putting up the big top, having a fight and then moving on to the next one in the next town. He seemed like his life depended on it, frankly, at the beginning of the pandemic now. We're doing that. We're doing a little bit of that. We're 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 venturing elsewhere to have our fight nights every now and then, but most of them are still having have happening at the apex in a time when we could be back out on the road full time. So I think we have to take that as indicative of the fact or the idea that the UFC has discovered that they can save money doing these apex shows. They're essentially trading the live gate for something else and being able to to save money and make more money on these fight nights than they would have if they were out on the road. Now, do I have anything to back that up? No, that's just my opinion, but it seems like that's probably the case given that they wanted to be out on the road. And now they have decided, no, actually we're going to stay home most of the time at the apex. Now I had never, frankly, considered the idea that the UFC would just get some smallish arena in Vegas to have a crowd in and, do the fight night there. And I do like that idea. But again, I think one of the things that is probably attractive about the apex is that they can basically leave it set up all the time, right? They've got, they got the production facility there. They got the cameras where they need them. They got the octagon set up. They don't have to do shit. They just invite people in there, sit them down in those easy chairs and have the fights. And that's it. But Miyazaki
2: makes a good point here that especially when you watch an awesome fight there, it's hard not to go, this would have been a different experience if you'd had it in an arena. For sure. And you'd had fans, a whole lot of fans there reacting to this and being really excited for it. Because uh, when you have a fight where, you know, dude gets dropped, nearly finished, come back, drop the other dude, nearly finishes him. You know, you get that energy from the live crowd that makes you feel like it's more of an event. And when you're watching these, they feel small time. They feel just like house show kind of vibes, you know, where it's, it feels like the MMA equivalent of going to watch a band at somebody in somebody's basement and that's just, you're just not going to get that same energy. And what you are communicating to us, the viewer is that this shit is not a big deal that this shit doesn't matter as much as the other shit and what that, whether you want that to be the message or not, that's what it is. And so, yeah, when you see these guys have this war and they got to do it in front of like 50 people and we can hear their coaches and hear everybody breathing and stuff. And instead of it being like an arena of fans going crazy, you do feel like they got robbed of something that we all kind of got robbed of something there. And it is that irony of, like, whenever he was asked about it during the pandemic, Dana White would tell you how he was dying to get back out there for these shows. Couldn't stand it, having to just be in Vegas doing these shows all the time. Wanted to get back out there in front of live crowds all the time. And now that they absolutely can, they've decided, well, not so much. This is the future of fighting, after all, is that we want to still be on this apex a whole lot. I don't know. It just... Especially when you already feel like you're doing just some fights to do it in the apex signals to us that you don't think that these are anything special, you know, and that that can't not affect the viewing experience for the fans and for the fighters, the the, the fighting experience.
0: Yeah, it is interesting to think how socialized to it maybe we have all become both as fans and fighters in the fact that I didn't really even think about this when it came to Barbosa versus Youssef. I just took it at face value. That's where we have the fights. This was a great one and I was ready to move on with it. But I think all this stuff, you know, you guys have a point. It would have been a different fight. It would have felt like a bigger deal if they did it in some manner of arena somewhere, uh, But then I guess part of that is that the pay-per-views now feel like a bigger deal. Well, not necessarily a bigger deal, but they feel like a a different experience, right? Because then suddenly you are out in front of the crowd and the fights do take on this added magnitude, uh, not only because you're paying 80 bucks or whatever for it, but because suddenly you do have a packed arena of people trying to do shoeys and whatnot. So, uh, so yeah, I guess I could, I guess I could see it both ways, I guess, um, but it is interesting to note that it seemed like the UFC was itching to get back out on the road. And now that they have the opportunity, they haven't really done that that much. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott, who writes, Logan Paul versus Dylan Danis had the boxing purists up in arms about the failed choke ending in disqualification. A couple a couple of important social media replies. The first, I'd say, is that it's fucking called Misfits Boxing and shit shows are on brand. The second. See? Yeah. Yes. Th- th- uh, the second to the call out saying Dylan Danis is one of your classless MMA guys. It's like the neighbor's kid having a tantrum at the store. He is familiar with, but when pick, he is familiar, but when people look at you, really the only thing to do is shake your head and say, nope, no fucking clue who that kid is. Is this the end of Dylan Danis? Cause it takes a real special kind of asshat clown to make the, a Paul brother, the sympathetic figure. What says you? Uh, I I'm gonna admit I only watched the highlights of this thing because I wasn't sitting through six rounds. Hell no. Of Dylan Dennis versus uh, Logan Paul. First of all, Ariel Helwani on the card on the call, Ariel Helwani doing color commentary live for this thing, so that was a thing that I liked about this this broadcast. Uh, secondly, uh, it seems like I saw Luke Thomas make this point earlier, but if you're buying these pay-per-views and you are looking for anything besides what you got, you're getting scammed, right? Because clearly, at least Dylan Danis showed up with no intention of having a legitimate sporting boxing match with Logan Paul. He was out there to talk shit. He was out there to do the DX crotch chop. He was out there to throw these winging, slapping punches. Uh, and in the end, he was out there to shoot a double, which Logan Paul stuffed, by the way. Which Yeah, is, that's uh, the
2: embarrassing part is when he does try to break the rules and grapple, he can't even do it.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, he goes for the uh, guillotine choke there uh, that results in mass bedlam. And let's be honest. When the security guys come and came in the ring and I was watching the highlights, the first thing that crossed my mind was, yes, here we go. Now we're getting down to it, <laughs> melee in the ring, mob scene, Jake Paul jumping up there in his pink collar corner man shirt, looking to get in on the action that was the that was the best thing that happened. That was the best thing that happened in that fight was when the security jumped in there, and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose these he, these things happen in celebrity boxing uh but other than that, man, these guys aren't doing much out there you're you know if you if you go into this thing with expecting to get something. To get your money's worth, you're, like I said, you're getting scammed. It's a Dana White gift. You think I would get scammed? You're getting <laughs> scammed if you buy these things.
2: Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing is that you absolutely should know what you're getting. And that is the appeal of the entire thing is that it's going to be a ridiculous kind of shit show. And again, I, I insist that everybody would be disappointed if they didn't get some ridiculousness out of it at the same time though this does reach a different audience i heard from a couple people i know who are not fight fans at all just being like why do i keep hearing these names Paul and Dennis today, like on social media, what, and hearing people talk about it, what even is this? And they, they found out enough about it to know it was some kind of fight. And I'm the one person they know who knows some shit about this stupid fighting world. And so they asked me, and then I had to be like, well, first of all, it's dumb. Second of all, here's what you need to know to the extent that you need to know anything about it. So you are, you're doing something, you're, you're creating some kind of a buzz, I guess, but also, you you should we should all know that this we're here for a Jerry Springer show kind of appeal here. We're not here to do group therapy. We are here to yell at each other and, and call each other a bunch of hoes. Like that's
0: that's <laughs> so not, the, not too different from this show.
2: No, that is the whole name of the game here. Just accept that, make your peace with it, and either you want to get on board with that or you don't. Yeah. I I just I feel like I don't know if the appetite can be enduring enough for this to continue. Like it, I it feels like at some point people are going to be like, "Okay, I, I I had a little fun with watching a boxing shit show every now and then, but uh, I'll catch the highlights on social media. Like, how many people can actually be paying customers? How much cash can there be to grab? That's the part I'm starting to wonder about. Or maybe it's just a matter of you just have to keep finding the right combination of names. Because yeah. I, I, I don't think anybody is on the verge of giving up on it just yet.
0: The only pay-per-view buying public that exists for Misfits Boxing is kids who've stolen their parents' credit cards, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I did want to ask this, though. What do you think Dylan Danis thought he was doing? Like, what do you think his plan was when he came into this thing? Yeah. Do you think he was going to, like, SLG it? And then he thought, like, oh, I'll be celebrated on the internet. Like, I'll, uh, I'll ruin this thing, and then that'll make some notoriety for me. I guess if that was his plan, maybe it halfway worked. Because we are talking about his ass uh, here on Monday, both on the social medias and on this show. But it just seems like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, did, did he just think, I'm going to go out there and make a mockery of this whole thing? Was that the whole plan?
2: Don't you think that even Dylan Danis must be self-aware enough to know that the ship has sailed on being liked? That <laughs> That's just not going to happen in Maybe. any space, whether it's grappling jiu-jitsu, MMA, boxing, whatever, that that's just not what he's going to do. So he has to be reviled enough to be interesting and keep making money that way. I think that that's, he has to realize that that is his only hope of having any kind of appeal that can be turned into a bunch of money is just that we hate him, we despise him, we're so embarrassed by him and that we can't, Look away. I think that he knows that that's... And I think that he probably went in there feeling like... If I just go in there and lose just a boxing match... That sucks nobody's going to care and I won't be able to continue being a thing. I have to be absolutely ridiculous. I think he probably thought the takedown going to work a little better. <laughs> I think that when he decided he was going to step outside the bounds of boxing rules, he thought he was going to be able to do so more successfully. I think he thought he was going to be able to do like some Nate Diaz shit where it's like Nate Diaz sort of locks up a standing guillotine on Logan Paul, just enough to be able to say he did it, you know, and his shit didn't work nearly as well. You know, we're reminded there's a reason why Nate Diaz can get in a street fight and choke some dude out and drop him on the sidewalk, whereas Dylan Dennis tries it and he gets choked out by a bouncer. Like, it didn't work as well for him, but I think that's what he was going for, essentially.
0: I guess we'll just close with this from, you know, Devin Scott's question here. Is this the end of Dylan Dennis? I saw he came out today or yesterday and tweeted UFC next, which that's just trolling, bro. You're just trolling us now.
2: I mean, like any good pro wrestling heel, he's already threatening to appeal this, and like he's basically doing the version of like showing up in a neck brace, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like talking about how we'll all be hearing from his attorney. That's a, that's kind of what he's doing here, which is the only way to go with it. I think that he's going to try to keep parlaying this into whatever the next thing could be. I'm sadly, I think we're probably not done with Dylan Danis not quite yet.
0: Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says Email the podcast. that will get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, then, owing to a terrible cut over the eye of Chucky Olives, Alexander Volkanovsky is in to the main event of UFC 294. He is the one who will be taking on Islam Bahachev for the UFC lightweight title. Obviously, this a rematch from the first time these guys fought at UFC 284. So just 10 UFCs ago and this year on February 12th of 2023. That is both not only a short notice fight this time around for Alexander Volkanovsky, but a quick turnaround on your rematch also. We're going to, both these fights will happen in the same year. Of course, uh, Volkanovsky backed that up with a TKO victory of Yair Rodriguez in UFC 290 to unify his featherweight title. And uh, he will retain that title moving up to 155 a chance for him to become the champ champ uh as as you noted though when we talked about this fight the first time perhaps taking a bit of a chance here to take Islam Mahachev on short notice because if he loses this one he's probably not going to get another opportunity where are you at on this fight as we sit here monday afternoon just short of a week before it actually goes down well you know there's just
2: enough of weirdness variable here to make me more interested in it because you wonder what does Alexander Volkanovsky have coming in on short notice how good a shape was he in when he got the call and and agreed to step in and how will that affect his approach because especially the last time you saw him sort of start to take over the fight later If you are not in five-round shape, even though I think Alexander Volkanovsky is probably the kind of guy who stays in pretty good shape all the time, it might make you think, all right, I got to be more aggressive early on and go after this guy because I don't know if I'm going to have it in the tank for five rounds here. And also you wonder how does Islam adjust when he was preparing for Chucky Olives and now you get Alexander Volkanovsky instead and there's not a whole lot of time to adjust to that. You know, you you know both guys. You fought and beat both guys. You had different, very different experiences though in the fights against both guys and now you're going to have to adjust to a, a, a different body type and a different style. So there's enough of that where it's just sort of throwing a wrench in the works that it does make you interested to see how it's going to be different from the first fight and how each guy's going to approach it.
0: Yeah, they both did fight camps for each other pretty recently. So you would think that the uh the game plans would still be in a drawer somewhere. They could just whip those folders out and dive back in. Islam Mahachev has come out this week and said that he underestimated or overlooked Alexander Volkanovsky the first time and that he would not do that again. Whether or not that is just bluster, we have no way of knowing. Islam Mahachev has not fought since February when he defeated Alexander Volkanovsky. And like I said, Alexander Volkanovsky is, has snuck another fight in there against Yair Rodriguez. So who knows what those recent work schedules will have to say about this fight or if they will affect it at all. Uh, I don't know what the odds are looking like for this thing. Have you seen the who's favorite here? I assume it would be Islam Mahachev, but I don't really know what the numbers are. So I don't know who, I don't know how close of a fight this is is, is expected to be, I guess.
2: It it is Islam Mahachev who is favored. Um, Looking at the the latest betting odds here, um, you got Islam Mahachev at minus 250 and Volkanovsky at plus 210. But that's also a closer line slightly than Islam Mahachev versus Charles Oliveira was. I think Charles Oliveira was at like plus 250 or close to plus 300. Uh, And so it's interesting... I don't know how much of that is just based on how the first fights went, that Charles Oliveira got finished. Alexander Volkanovsky lost a very close decision that a lot of people felt could have gone the other way. Um, but that even coming in on short notice, odds makers like Volkanovsky's chances slightly better against Islam.
0: That is interesting. Obviously, Charles Oliveira was also slated for what was a rematch with Islam Makhachev. Those guys fought at UFC 280, which was in October of uh, 2022, so just about one year ago. So here you've got two perspective opponents that are somewhat familiar with Islam Mahachev and he is somewhat familiar with them. You got to kind of feel bad for Charles Oliveira here. It's not like he broke his leg. You know what I mean? He got cut in, in uh, training. He's got that nasty gash over his eye, but you would think like, he'd be able to return pretty quickly after healing up from that. Maybe he gets the winner of this one. I don't know, but... Uh, Hard not to feel bad a little bit for him for losing out on this opportunity for essentially a flesh wound, even though it was a it was a pretty nasty one.
2: You know who I feel bad for is
0: Mateusz Gamrot. Well, yeah, he's the guy that they said was supposed to be the backup, right? Yeah, and he's just got completely leapfrogged by uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Frankly, without a word, without a word yeah. from anyone. Like
2: they, we heard earlier this month. Mateusz Gamera, he's going to make the trip over to Abu Dhabi. He's going to be there in case we need a backup. And apparently when they told him that, what they meant was, I mean, if we got to find somebody last minute. Like if we got a week week and a half to work on it, we will make some other calls first. (laughs) Which that's got to be a bummer when you hear that, right? When they were like, oh, hey, guess what? The challenger's out of the title fight. And you'd be like, oh, that's that's weird my phone didn't ring and then they go and alexander volkanovsky's in and you're like wait a minute this was i thought the exact scenario that i was supposed to be preparing for so why aren't i in this fight
0: yeah plus they're probably like yeah but uh mateusz go ahead and stay in shape keep your keep your weight cut going because just in case something additionally messed up happens we still uh We still want you to be available, bud. Well,
2: yeah, hey, and if if it ends up that you fly to Abu Dhabi, you make weight, and you get paid, and you don't have to fight anybody, and then you can just enjoy a trip and go go on the water slide and come out the mouth of the cobra, go to Ferrari World or whatever, do all your Abu Dhabi stuff, then I guess that's not the worst thing in the world that can happen to you. You just got to feel like a little bit slighted because they went like, hey, don't you worry. If a spot on the dance card opens up, you're the dude we're calling. And then you find out that they were very busy trying to fill that spot with kind of anybody but you.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. There are worse situations that you could be in as a UFC fighter. We don't typically do fight picks on this show. But who you got? Who you leaning toward here? This is a a funky matchup that we do not have too long to think about. Who you leaning toward?
2: I got to say Mahachev. Just because I feel like with his his style is not that dependent on what you are going to do. His yeah. style is pretty much his style. I think that the late change-up won't affect him too much. I feel like it can't help but affect Volkanovsky some. I think that he'll probably be more aggressive knowing that he doesn't have the same five rounds of training in the bank here. But I also think we saw in that first fight, especially early on there were moments where we were reminded that we have these weight classes for a reason. Yeah. And I think that we'll probably be reminded again.
0: I don't know why. I just have a good feeling about Volkamania running wild
2: Uh over there. You're saying vibes is off for
0: Islam. I mean, I'm just liking the vibes for Volkanovsky for some reason. I don't know. I think he goes in there free as a bird on short notice. (laughs) He's, you know, like I said, I think, Preparing for Islam Mahachev on short notice might be easier than preparing for Alexander Volkanovsky on short notice. I'm I'm just feeling it. I'm just feeling like he slips something in there early. He's you know, he slips a little punch in there and then we get uh we get a different kind of thing than we were expecting to get. That's just I don't know. This is my what my uh it's what I'm seeing in my dreamscape.
2: That's okay, all I can so- say about it. So you're not necessarily saying vibes is off no, for Islam. No. You're saying I've, vibes I got, is on uh, yeah. for Volkanovsky.
0: I got no reason to assume that the vibes is off for Mahachiev. Okay. I'm just saying I have a weird tingly feeling in my extremities that not tells extremities. me that I just something something is happening with Islam or with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. I don't okay. I can't explain it. It's just a feeling I've got. And as you know, My feelings are usually right. Are they? Are they though? Usually I nail it. Well, I
2: mean, I guess we'll have to wait until $20 we never want to see again for me to really bring up the point that I made last week, which was when you (laughs) bet against Edson Barboza. And I sat here and I was like, if you of all people bet against a gentleman of a certain age in Edson Barboza and then he wins, you're going to feel like an asshole. And I got to ask. As we're sitting here Monday morning, do you feel like an asshole?
0: I mean, I, we'll talk about it. You know, you don't have to worry. We got it. We got it on the. Uh, we got it on the schedule. It's it's coming okay. up here in a little while, in a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Didn't you bet on the Eagles?
2: <laughs> we'll talk about that on Friday. <laughs> okay,
0: that's what I thought. All right, uh, let's get on to. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two i think we have a uh wait did you take the niners also
2: we'll talk about it over on the Browns? friday
0: did you take the eagles and the niners because i'm that... not
2: talking about it right now okay. <laughs> i'll talk about it on friday when i have a chance to collect myself
0: because you put out a video on twitter this week where you were talking about how you needed to harness the power that you have when you bet on someone that they always lose we were trying to think of how you would Use that power for good instead of evil. And at the time, it was just like, ha, ha, ha. But now. Yeah.
2: No. Evidence in favor of this argument that I have a special power has gotten much stronger <laughs> so since be- then.
0: It's begun to accrue. All right. Uh, are you fucking kidding me? Let's do- I think we have we have a joint Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week. Oh, we yes, not? we do. Uh, yes, we do. Because MMA legend Pat Miletic went out there this past weekend and dropped one to uh mike jackson mike the truth jackson in a independent mma uh event where was this thing where did this thing Cage
2: aggression uh, out there it? i believe in davenport iowa
0: okay i was gonna say was it in iowa uh so as a first are you fucking kidding me has to go out to pat Melitich for taking this fight just a few weeks after he popped one for dui right Right. That would be the first, are you fucking kidding me? The second, are you fucking kidding me, at least from me, would be that, again, I didn't watch this fight, much like uh, Logan Paul and uh, Dylan Dennis, but I did read the, uh, the blog update, the live blog, which, like man, it's just like it's 2022 all over again, Yep. reading the live blogs, and I saw that uh, Pat Miletic dropped Mike Jackson in the first round. Like, could have damn near won this thing, which is my second, are you fucking kidding me?
2: He, it sounds like, was dominating the fight until he got tired. Got too tired, could not get up off the stool for the third round, and so lost a TKO due to retirement. as the way it usually officially goes down on the record. Which... I guess now we know that getting a DUI a few weeks before the fight is not the best base for MMA, that maybe it it indicates that your training, your cardio was not totally on point for this. I also got to kind of, are you fucking kidding me? Because that happened. And then I saw just in the couple days before this fight on October 13th, MMA Fighting had a story up by Damon Martin here. Where Pat Millet is just explaining why he's doing this fight, all this kind of stuff, how he trained for it and everything. Um, and he, I mean, here's a quote he's talking about being a 55 year old guy, getting into shape to get back in there and fight again there's been moments where I said this is an uphill battle, but it really comes down to just getting back up. And I guess it's a lesson for me and hopefully a lesson for other people who have gotten a little bit older and don't think they're capable of doing things. I'm here to tell you that you are capable. If you make a few tweaks, eat a little bit better and just keep going back. Things will change. Uh, it goes on to talk about how, uh, that's my message to guys who are in their thirties, forties, fifties, or even sixties, that if you just decide to put the right stuff in your body, I'm pausing for emphasis here, Chad. Oh boy and put the work in, you can actually do a lot more than you realize you can. To which I would add, up to a point, apparently.
0: Mm-hmm. 10 minutes. You fucking kidding me? Yeah. You fucking kidding me? All right, that's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
2: Well, Chad, you know that it saddens me to have to say that the silly little guy himself, Mr. SLG, Paulo Costa, out of this fight with Hamzat Shumayev, which I was really looking forward to. Yeah, I was looking forward to seeing Hamza go out there against a big-ass middleweight dude who you know is going to bring some sort of entertainment value regardless of how the fight goes. And then due to various elbow-related weirdness, it seems, for Paulo Costa. He gets pulled at late notice, and you get the former welterweight champ, Kamara Usman, to step in here. His first fight since he lost a decision in the rematch with Leon Edwards back in March over there in London, and he's going up a weight class here. And so there's a part of me that kind of says the same thing about Hamzat here that uh, we were saying about Jake Paul which is he can't keep getting away with it. He keeps finding ways to fight dudes who aren't middleweights, fight these dudes where he's got a big size advantage, but this time he's fighting a guy who was very recently the champ at 170 pounds. Some people were even talking crazy out the side of their mouths about how he was better than GSP or whatever. Uh, What
0: do you make of this one? What do you make of Kamaru Usman's chances in this one? Well, you're right. I hadn't even considered it this way, but Gilbert Burns, Kevin Holland, and now Kamara Usman, right in a row. That's uh, uh, that's uh, taking advantage of a of a size advantage, I guess you would say, if you're Kamzad Shmaev. So it is interesting to think that he was going, changing from going to a very ro- from going from a very robust individual in the original SLG, Paulo Costa, to now fighting a guy that you would assume he's going to have a size advantage over. But I mean, if you're Kamaru Usman, you got to do something right? Because you're 36 years old and you got back to back losses to Leon Edwards. You got to make a move if you are still interested in pursuing MMA at its highest level. And for him, maybe that means Kamzat Chamaev is a good opportunity. Because if you go in there and you, you fuck around and pull off the win over Kamzat Chamayev, well, shit, man, you just pulled the plug out of the UFC's giant hype balloon. And now uh, you got to get something for that. Maybe you're a player in the middleweight Division all of a sudden, and I guess if you lose to Kamzat Chimaev, we all just sort of shrug, be like, "eh, short notice." Kamara Usman moving up and wait, thirty six years old, maybe not exactly what we thought he was anymore, and so uh, maybe you don't. Maybe if he, if you're, you're Kamara Usman, maybe aside from the fact that you're going to get into a physical fight, you feel like you don't have a lot to lose.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, you you would lose your third straight if you if you lose this one and it would at least temporarily set kind of a ceiling for you where people go okay you ran up against a roadblock over there at welterweight when you lost the title and then lost the rematch you come over at middleweight and maybe don't give yourself the best chances for success by taking a a tough fight and b on short notice and then what do you do who do they book you against after that you know they they very well might get into who do we have that we want to see get a little shine off of Kamaru Usman's name because we might be nearing the point where we're done with him. Like, that might be the way the UFC starts looking at you again. But you're right, it is a little bit of a big swing with a lot of upside here because if you go in there and you win this one, new weight class, short notice, beat one of the guys everybody's really excited about in the co-main event of a big pay-per-view, then suddenly everybody's talking about you. Suddenly, you're not just going to middleweight because you were out of ideas at welterweight. Now, you are a legit contender at middleweight overnight, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of risk, a lot of reward there. I also, though, stylistically, when I look at this one, I just, i just there's a part of me that worries a little bit for Kamaru because I just don't know if his style plays that well against somebody who's going to come in there and be bigger than him.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And so maybe there is a little bit of desperation here on the part of uh, Kamaru Usman, but at the same time you mentioned, yeah, you lose this one, what do you do after that? Well, I don't know who you fight this time, right? After you beat Lee or lost to Leon Edwards twice. I don't know if there were a ton of great matchups out there for Kamaru Usman, right? He's already fought Colby a couple times. He already fought Gilbert Burns. Uh, you know, it's it's uh you don't you probably don't want to take a chance against Bilal Muhammad. And other than that, it's like Shavkat Rachmanov, right? So it's, I don't know that there was a great choice for Kamar Usman this time around. At least if you go over and you beat Kamzat, you kind of hit the reset button on some stuff here. And, uh, oh, by the way, you look way, way down on the record of Kamar Usman back in April of 2017 UFC 10, he's got a win over the guy, Sean Strickland. Got a little oh, yeah. bit of a win over Sean Strickland. So that's interesting. That's interesting if you manage to come out of this thing with a win over Kamzat Chemaev.
2: Yeah. Looking at the betting odds right now, Usman is the underdog here at plus 235. Kamzat Chemaev up there at minus 290. What do you make of that?
0: <sighs> it's probably about right, honestly. We're kind of expecting Kamzat to win this one. And, uh, put up his third, his third straight in a row against a welterweight. Uh, but I don't know, like we saw some, I don't know if you want to say holes in his game against Gilbert Burns, but we saw, you know, Gilbert Burns, at least give him a run for his money. We saw him maybe, uh, at least last longer than a few minutes out there with Kamza Shumayev. So maybe if you're Kamar Usman, you think to yourself, Hey man, I'm durable. My style, uh, my style might make for a long fight, longer fight with uh, Kamzat Shumayev. Maybe if I get him into that situation, maybe then I have a chance. But uh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I don't – it's a – I would say it's about that kind of a long shot. It's probably about a three-to-one long shot for Kamar Usman. But that doesn't mean he can't mess around and win it. We shouldn't underestimate that guy. He's one of the greatest welterweights of all time. Well, and I would say
2: that one thing – he does have going for him. You talk about Islam Mahachev having to make a switch and prepare for a different kind of opponent on short notice. If you're preparing for the silly little guy, Paulo Costa, and you find out instead you're getting Kamar Usman, now that's that's a change of opponents right there. That's a very different style of fight that you're dealing with. The thing is, I, I wonder which kind of Hamzat will we see here in light of that stylistic change. Because, you know, he got into a little bit of a brawl with Gilbert Burns. Yeah. And it maybe wasn't the smartest thing for him to do. And you wonder if he's going to have that same problem against Mar-usman if Usman. If he hears the music, he's going to want to dance kind of problem. Or is he just going to look to truck the dude, take him down, uh, beat him up from the top position? Because you got to feel if it was Paulo Costa, that's what he would have been doing, right? Is yeah. take this guy down, plant him on his back, throw some elbows in his face maru's probably gonna be a little tougher to take down you Agreed. do have the size going for you and everything but it'll be interesting to see how he decides to play it
0: yeah yeah he might have to switch things up considerably over what he was thinking about doing to kamzat Chimaev, and maybe that's another thing that makes this fight kind of interesting this is this one hey uh don't let the odds fool you this is one that i'm excited for i'm interested to see how it goes for both of these guys kind of uh in terms of of the physical test and the places that they're at in their careers, so it might tell us a lot about either guy, depending about who comes out on top. Now, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Paulo Costa out here uh, still kind of fooling around on the internet, saying that he could have made this fight? That he he insisted that he could have done it. That his elbow, despite the fact that it's got some, I just had surgery, uh, damage there on it, that he could still could have done this, and and uh, you know he's he's still raring to go here
2: well i heard something about how he was having to get more medical treatments and stuff done but he was last week still posting sparring footage and being like look doesn't it look like i could go i could go but you know when you're dealing with the slg Chad, hard to know hard to know who knows what's real and what's just what's just for shits and gigs what's just for laughs you know Yeah. yeah guy loves a chuckle
0: just give him uh Give him a teaspoonful of the secret juice and he's good to go, man. Yeah. Run him out there Mm -hmm. against Comzot. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, things certainly started hot for your guy, Sadiq Youssef. He comes out there in the first round throwing murder balls, throwing them thangs, looking to get Edson Barbosa out of here. And frankly, for the better portion of the first five minutes, it looks like he he looked like he was going to accomplish that mission. I'd have no idea how Edson Barbosa managed to survive this onslaught early on in this fight from Sadiq Youssef but then after he does maybe a little bit of veteran wildness takes over a little bit of uh savvy you might say a guy who is not in his first rodeo he has been around for a while because what you see here is Edson Barboza weathered the storm starts ripping that body starts wearing out Sadiq Youssef a little bit gets to the point where he Scores almost a knockdown, scores his own near KO with a spinning, with some spinning shit, with a spinning kick that landed upstairs to Sadiq Youssef. They battle it out back and forth. I thought we were headed for a very close decision. Edson Barbosa ends up winning it unanimously in a in a decision that really wasn't all that close. What'd you make of this? What'd you make of this fight?
2: Yeah, veteran wiliness is a good way to put it, especially because it seemed like Sadiq Youssef started off like he had somewhere to be,
0: Yeah, you know? (laughs) He had a dinner reservation he did not want to miss. To get right after
2: Edson Barboza and just like throwing those heaters right off the bat, I was a little bit surprised with that approach. But then once Edson Barboza survived that, you could see him just really kind of calmly snap back and just be like, okay, let's get back to doing what I came here to do. And the way he was working that body mm-hmm. throughout the fight, I mean, he he's throwing the, the right hand to the body under the jab. He's digging that left hook to the body at kind of every opportunity and just sort of slowly draining – Uh, Sadiq Youssef's energy away, but also making sure that the judges see you as the guy who is constantly pressing forward. They see him as the guy with his, his back up against the fence and just sort of steadily coming at him. They both had chances to finish that one, and it just looked like Barboza put together the better total fight performance there. And really, it's impressive, especially for me to see a guy who's 37 years old, survive that early scare that's the kind of the stuff you start to worry about right is that the chin going a little bit not being able to take those shots and to still have that kind of resiliency and just sort of pop right back in there into that fight that's that's really tough to do
0: yeah you could tell that this was the thing that he does for a living yep because there he was putting in uh, a very professional let's say effort do you think ufc matchmakers are throwing up their arms at this point, you know, we we <laughs> we did the we did the damn thing with Edson Barbosa twice. We sent Giga Chikadze out there, Chikadze beat him, we sent Bryce Mitchell out there, Bryce Mitchell beat him, but then we decided to throw uh uh Billy uh, Billy Q out there. I'm sorry, Billy Q. And uh Edson Barbosa knocked him out. Knocked him out in the first round. And then we decided we were gonna double down on Sadiq Youssef, and now your guy Sadiq Youssef catches a loss after going 8-1 and one in his last nine fights. They decided, hey, instead of uh, Alex, Alex Caceres and Don Shaninis, probably nailed it, let's get this kid a uh, signature win over Edson Barbosa. Now here we are on Monday, and Sadiq Youssef still he didn't lose his smile. Sadiq Youssef, he's a, he's an affable sport. Yeah, yes. But, uh, but he's got a little bit of rebuilding to do now.
2: Yeah, I mean – Every once in a while, it seems like the UFC matchmakers maybe have it in their minds to use one of the aging fighters as a stepping stone for somebody else, only to find out that person is not ready to be stepped on. That person still got still got a little something in the old gun there, and he uh, found that out with Edson Barbosa here. Especially, I feel like uh, it's hard to stay competitive for that long and at that age in the lighter weight classes. If you're a 37-year-old heavyweight, shit, you're just getting started. You know, you're still a a fresh-faced kid in the division. But a 37-year-old featherweight or lightweight or bantamweight somewhere in there uh, and a guy who's been in the UFC for well over a decade at this point, like, that – That is really, really impressive to do and to still be as good as Edson Barboza is. And even good when he's on autopilot. He's talking afterwards about how if he got hit and he wasn't sure if he was in the gym or his living room or what. I mean, I would say maybe the apex kind of gives off a little bit of a gym vibe. And so he could be forgiven. Kind of like that time Frank Muir got rocked or whatever. And they asked him where he was. And he was at the MGM Grand. And he was like, I'm at the Mandalay Bay. And they were like, "Mm, close enough. It's down the street. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Anybody Uh, could make that mistake.
2: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, to to be in that moment where he's just sort of rocked and disoriented and still Edson Barbosa's body just sort of knows what to do at this point. You could understand why.
0: Yeah. A uh, lot of underdogs won on this card. Speaking of stuff we'll talk about on Friday, I say this as a guy who bet a lot of favorites. A lot of underdogs <laughs> won on this card. Uh, how about Terrence McKinney, though? going out there and getting the 22nd uh, knockout victory over uh, Brendan Murat, landed a knee straight up the middle, right to the chin, put Murat down, and then followed up with punches that uh, that ended up causing the stoppage. Now, I gotta say, I'm looking down here at the post-fight bonuses. You put, you gave a fight of the night to Edson Barbosa versus Sadiq Youssef, which is understandable. Then you gave Michel Pereira, a post-fight bonus after he knocked out Andre Petroski in a minute in six seconds. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. And then you gave one to Jonathan Martinez, uh, who also won his fight via a uh, second round leg kick against Adrian Yanez, who I believe suffered an injury in that fight. <sighs> Where's your guy T-Rex at? Where's Terrence McKinney, uh, this guy goes out there, lands a knee in the first 15 seconds and knocks his guy out with punches. We're not going to give, uh, we're not going to give Terrence McKinney an extra 50 G's that, that uh, that's a bit of a, of a rough one to take, I guess.
2: Yeah. We'll say, uh, you see where, you know, you get the knockdown, he's going after it there. Uh, I think it's Herb Dean standing there, telling him to watch the back of the head. And you're like, yeah, man, he's watching it. He's watching <laughs> his hammer fist bounce off the like brain stem. Several times, and then we just kind of went, ah, fuck it, he was going to win anyway. But it's like, there's there's at least two or three good, solid shots right to the back of the old skull.
0: Shots to the back of the head are like holding in football. You can't call it on every play or it would ruin the game. So some guys are just going to go out there and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Did you see the cuts on Ashley Yoder? It was Ashley Yoder, right? She got just cut up. Those are... Those are bad cuts and in terms of having one over both eyes, that's about as bad as you will ever see.
2: Yep. And the kind where you just you feel like you could look in there and see her thoughts. You know, they're just so deep into into her head. That's that's gross.
0: Yeah, your guy Darren Elkins also went out and got a third round submission win over TJ Brown. He got himself a
2: Darren Elkins win. Yeah. For sure.
0: As the underdog. Just want to point that out. (laughs) all right let's do just saying stuff and then we will get out of here for this week ben what is your just saying stuff
2: well chad i sent this to you via dms uh because as this dylan danis logan paul boxing match is going on i couldn't help but fire up twitter i see a tweet from dan henderson the dan henderson Mm -hmm. elder statesman of the game yeah and he tweets, I'm not sure I understand these fights. None of the YouTubers fight anyone with big power. Wonder how they'd do with my overhand right. And then he hashtags at Paul To which chat, I'm just saying, Dan. <laughs> Danny. Daniel. Come on now. Yeah. You're better than this. You're better than this, Dan. 53-year-old. Daniel Jeffrey Henderson out here trying to kind of subtly audition for one of these influencer fights. Come on now. You are you are better than this, Dan. You do not need to stoop to this. Don't try to be a pick-me with one of these influencer types. You don't need to do that, Dan. I'm yeah, just saying.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dan Henderson is out there wearing his uh, cut-off jean shorts. In his flip flops, flipping burgers, he has the spatula in one hand and his phone in the other, and he says to his wife, "Honey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a tweet about the celebrity boxing," and she's like, "Okay, Dan," and that's and he fires it off. I guarantee you I that's how even, this happened. I don't even like the fact
2: that he is watching and/or aware of these fights. He's got it, it on like the tablet. These...
0: He's flipping burgers. He's got it on the tablet. It's nothing to worry about.
2: These fights should happen entirely without the awareness of Dan Henderson.
0: That's true. <laughs> it is troubling, I guess, to consider that he even knows that they're happening. Man, did you see this story over on Bloody Elbow? Tim Basell, uh, some sumo wrestlers are trying to—they're trying to catch a flight. They're trying to fly uh, to the island of Amani Oshima to have a, an exhibition sumo match. And uh, at least according to Sky News. They wouldn't let these guys on the plane. They turned them away and had them arrange separate flights over fears that the wrestlers would literally take down the planes. The decision was made after calculating that the wrestlers average weight was 265 pounds, which is that even a big sumo? I don't know. Uh, Which is far more than the 154 pounds that they calculate as their average passenger weight. First of all, if that's your average passenger weight, we are all screwed. Many of us would not be able to get on the plane, let alone uh, the sumo guys. But I guess this week, Ben, I'm just saying, let the big boys on the plane. Come on. (laughs) Don't turn these guys away. Let the big fellas get on the plane. Let them take their seats and fly them over to the island. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to be fine. Let the big boys on the plane. I'm just saying. Just saying. If they were like, hey, man, uh... Would you want to ride in a plane with some sumo wrestlers? Or do you want to be hundred uh, percent guaranteed that you will make it to your destination? I'd be like, let the big boys on the plane. Let's have Yeah.
2: It. Well, that's you. You, you like to roll the dice. That's true. You know, yeah, I do. Airlines, maybe not so much.
0: If I'm going to die in a fiery crash, let it be among the sumo. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. All right. As that's you're going do
2: down, it. you just look over at them like, well, damn.
0: Yeah. No, I'm just nod. Just give him a little nod. It's okay, big fella.
2: It's okay. You are as God made you.
0: That's going to do it for this week's Co Main Event podcast. Uh, we will be at the Patreon page all week. Wednesdays live chat, Thursdays doing the damn thing, Friday's power hour. Check us out over there, patreon.com slash co main event. As for the rest of you, we'll talk to you next week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. <laughs> He's grilling up some brats. He's getting ready to like serve brats out by the pool. And he's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my shot. I'm going to shoot my shot out here. Okay. I'm going to shoot my maybe, shot. See if I can get in the lane with one of these.
2: Maybe a couple of Mandalas deep. A lot of stuff starts to sound like a good idea. You know?
0: Yeah. Also, I will tell you this. Ain't none of those guys want any part of panhandle. Like no. No, they don't.